Hello everyone, here is Daniel Abudai with another episode of our Ecom show and today I'm here with Adam McDonald from Australia and he has a really interesting story because in the past he sold multiple businesses, one of them was sold to ESPN and uh, also he sold uh, multiple e-commerce businesses, now he's into a new one, he's been building this new brand and he will also share this with us. This show is sponsored by Budai Media, Budai Media is a fully remote e-commerce focused retention marketing agency. In the last three years, Budai Media worked with more than 100 e-commerce clients and generated an eight-figure extra revenue for these clients. If you want to check out their website, go to thebudaimedia.com and just send an email or actually you can just drop a message to me on any of my social media channels if you are interested to work with us. Hey, Adam, how are you today? I'm well, mate. How are you? Yeah, everything is great. We have some time difference. You are in Sydney, right? If I yeah, just, just north of Sydney, yeah. I'm in Central Europe now, so I'm really happy that we could uh, make this uh, happen. Let's start with your story. So when did you start your first business? When when was it? And what, what was that first business? Funny enough, actually, I was thinking about this the other day. My first business was in the hairdressing industry because okay. my wife's a hairdresser. And I ended up selling shampoos and conditioners. We just had an opportunity through a company that Emma used to deal with. They were looking for a distributor in Australia, an American company called Paul Mitchell. I don't know if you've heard of mm-hmm. Paul Mitchell. They sponsor a lot of extreme sports and stuff. So that's why I was excited about it because I'm not a hairdresser. Yeah, so we took it on and it was quite good for a good, I think, two or three years. And it's the reason that it was funny when I flash back to it was that it was my first dabble into e-commerce. And this would have been probably around the year 2000, so super, super early. But it was more, I remember it cost me like like 20, 25 grand to get this website built because back then there was no Shopify's or WooCommerce's and yeah. um, everything had to be coded. And, and it was just an online brochure, mostly for my bricks and mortar clients. But I do remember getting people buying online from us, which was quite cool. But yeah, so we did that for, well, I did that for a few years and then they bought out a color range and that's when it needed a whole lot more technical expertise than I had. So um, uh, they bought the distribution back off me and bought it back in-house for them so they could focus on their shampoos, conditioners and colours and being like a full-service company. And, yeah, so that was early 20s, so a long, 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 long time ago. Yeah, I guess the website was the biggest expense back then yeah and trying to find someone who could build it was really challenging as well so web developers back then it was like a secret society you had to know someone who knew someone and then give us a secret handshake to get a meeting with them and yeah so that was really challenging especially like compared to now where i've worked with we've got a a, like a friend who's a marketing person that we deal with with our shopify sites now but you know i can probably put together 80 percent of the shopify site by myself without it look into code or anything so yeah it's it's evolved super quickly like even though it seems like a long time ago i was doing it in reality it's it's been a super quick transition i think to get to where e-commerce is today versus what it was in the early 2000s when even the internet yeah. was pretty early you know i think the entry barrier is way lower now than back then and oh for sure for sure and yeah. and sourcing products is different and yeah. you know three this latest one we're doing we're using 3pl for the first time so i've always owned buildings and had to distribute and and so yeah so it's definitely there's all the pieces in place now for 
for people to build quite a large scale business without having to be super involved on a, you know, outside of, for me, and this is the same for the picnic business we're building now, the only thing we need to do is keep customers happy through customer service and and, provo- and just create content and that's it. You can focus on the marketing and the community. You don't have yes. to worry about the website and the technical things. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so I started that and that came off. I've, I've only ever had one job for someone else and that was working for Pepsi over here. And I think, I, I don't know if it was Tony Robbins, but someone gave me a coach motivational person's uh, I think it was on tape. It was on, it was the old tapes and, uh, and they gave me a whole series of tapes and I was listening through them. And one thing like, out of the whole thing was kind of all garbage, I thought, but there was one thing that resonated with me was that it, learning how to sell, whoever it was, was, was like, if you can teach yourself how to sell, you can do really well in life and in business. And, and back then, this was in the days where people would rather die than sell something. It was like sales was very much a taboo thing that only the most hardcore ego maniacs were were involved in like no one no no one wanted to sell no one wanted to do public speaking no one wanted to like trying to get someone to produce content like everybody's doing today on tiktok and reels you just couldn't get anyone in front of a camera mm-hmm. back in those days so that's another yeah. massive transition we've seen but so yeah so i i actually walked into the head office of pepsi I, I thought of what company would i really need to have to sell and in australia pepsi was absolutely dominated by coke and i thought well if i worked for coke i'd probably just be more of an order taker where if i worked for Pepsi, I'd actually have to sell and learn how to sell. And so I walked in, pled my case and walked out with a, a, a company car, a phone and $28,000 a year salary. <laughs> so I think I was about 20. So um, so that was that was good. And I spent, I went through the ranks of Pepsi, probably spent three or four years there. And we ended up getting taken over by Schweppes, which is another soft drink brand over here. And I German a, company, I think, originally. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. Like they, it, it, it was a good portfolio of beverage but um, I'd been competing against these guys for four years and I just, I got offered a redundancy because they didn't have a role that I had in Pepsi and and I'd been, you know, going to war against these guys for four years. So I, it was kind of, you know, I just felt a bit uneasy, you know, going from battling against them to being best friends with them, you know. So I, I took yeah. the redundancy and that's when we went and started. It was called Greater Retail, the, the, the business that dealt with Paul Mitchell and the hair care stuff. So that was my first venture into online commerce and it was a very expensive and very clunky and and you know i wasn't really even thinking about commerce it was more just an online brochure just somewhere where i could say to salons jump on greaterretail.com.au and you can see all our products and the costings and the pricing Mm -hmm. and um, and like i said we got a few orders through it but it wasn't anything we marketed to get orders through and then yeah fast forward i guess i would i actually i I tell a lie i've worked for two people i i once we sold greater retail we went overseas we went to america for a while and spent maybe three months over there and then my dad got into some tax trouble he he, he got he audited and, and he hadn't been paying his tax right. And he messaged me when we were overseas and said, oh, the tax office wants to, because he waited so long to tell me, they got to the point where they were collecting. It wasn't like they were negotiating. They were just, how can you pay your bill? And he only had two assets. One was his business and the other one was his house. And I said, well, you're going to have to choose which one you want to sell and which one you want to keep. And he said, I want to keep the house, sell the business. And the business was in shambles. So I just basically said, I'll go in and clean it all up and get it to a point where you might be able to sell it. And as it turned out, I found a buyer who was a, it was an advertising agency that dealt 
specifically in sport based in Sydney. And then so we we did a deal with them. And then as part of the deal, they kind of stitched me up to work for them as part of the contract. So yeah, so I worked for him, but only for a matter of a year before he was he was ripping off all of his clients, which were the biggest sporting organizations in Australia. So the AFL and the rugby league and rugby union. And he got caught out. And then so I ended up in my own business again by default due to his his shonky dealings. And so I just bought all his equipment and bought all his staff out and the NRL approached me and just sort of said, can you do this so we can keep operating? And, and so we did. And so I ended up with a business again and uh, and it was in the sports advertising industry, but I managed to build that up over the same three to four year period to be eight figures. So yeah, it was big, big, big business. And I bought partners in at one point, just as an exit strategy, I bought in some young guys on the proviso that they buy me out once we were ready to do so. And uh, yeah, and we just went and picked up big contracts. Like we had all the work in all the big stadiums and, and the Easter show, which is a big annual event in Sydney. We had the contract for that. And yeah, so that was good. But because that was so successful, I started angel investing and I invested in a TV. Well, it wasn't a TV project. It was just a film project. We actually thought it was going to be a documentary. And then I paid for these guys to run around and do some crazy things with my clients from the sign business. And uh, and we put a little sizzle reel together on Twitter and put it out there. And then I got contacted by someone at ESPN in Connecticut. And then we did a deal for a TV show. <laughs> so, and we were the first we were the first TV series that ESPN had ever aired. So they what was it the, about? Uh, it was so we had an ex triathlete. His name was Matt, and he was racing in a team in Europe. Was growing well. He was training so much as a young kid that he started crack, getting cracks in his femurs. And so they had to ship him home to try to, and he just couldn't do anything for a while. And then once he started running again and getting fit, he came back home and started a personal training business. And that's where I met him. I used to have my morning coffee at the beach where he used to train everybody. And one day he just he just knew I invested. I did some angel investing and he came to me and he said, oh, I've got this idea. I want to, and he just, he, he got, he had a really unusual circuit. He, he ended up marrying one of these clients. So she came and he okay. trained her. He prepared proposed within seven days they had one day he proposed and they got married within a couple of weeks like it was it was a massive whirlwind thing and yeah so he approached me about doing like or he he had this idea that he wanted to go to the states in a Winnebago and then wake up in a different town each day and then train a different style of training so one day he might do seal fit then he'll do crossfit and he'll do whatever all the training is but for me I kind of liked it but I'm like oh, it's a little groundhog day there's not really enough and it was really expensive to to send a crew over to the states or to, to get him organized over there so i said to him so we end up doing a think tank and i said look i've got access to all the sporting teams in australia through my signage company why don't you jump in a winnebago here travel around to compete in all these big events like this was when tough mudder first come to australia we were going to do sky marathons and ultra triathlons and adventure races and all this sort of thing and so i said we'll, we'll, we'll book you in to do all these events and as you're traveling around you can stop in and train with the sporting teams and so that's what we did and we thought oh it's it's kind of like Matt searching for hurt so it was called search for hurt and yeah and it took off and it was like I said it was ESPN's first ever TV series they've always been live sport and documentaries we be, we were nominated for a bunch of awards and it was really good but it unfortunately came at a time where all of the league passes were being released and Netflix was coming out and the platform mm -hmm. that ESPN sits on in Australia is called Foxtel we sat in a premium sports package within Foxtel and we just saw from series one where we had access to maybe a hundred thousand people that had that offering on Foxtel to the end of series three, where it was down to about 20,000. I kind of got to a point where we were just producing a show that no one could watch because ESPN mm -hmm. had 
add up all the rights. And and so, yeah, so we decided we had a really good format for Series 4, but we decided to just to shelve it because it, we just had no one watching it, even though they, everybody was still happy to keep doing it. It kind of seemed pointless from my point of view. And over the stage of producing that TV show, we I'd sold the signage business to the partners that I'd bought in and we'd started an event company. So when we did Tough Mudder, I'd never heard of Tough Mudder and we rocked up to Phillip Island where they raced the MotoGP here was their first event and they had like 25,000 people to this thing and I just I I was like (laughs) it was um yeah mad experience so yeah but we we got into events after that and we we ran some pretty big brand we built some brands and ran them until probably 2018 I think I got out of events and uh and sold our biggest one to a charity and then sold another one which was more of a festival style event with big water slides called Slider Palooza we sold that to some festival guys who do like Oktoberfest and stuff like that so so yeah so I got out of events and got it I got sick I had issues with diabetes and and cancer and stuff like that so I uh I wanted to get away from being in front of a computer and so I made of mine was going out on his own as a builder so I partnered up with him on a building firm so I didn't sit behind a computer for 20 hours a day like I did during the decade where I had all those big businesses running on mm-hmm. so, yeah so yeah so we did that and then COVID was coming we didn't know what was going to happen with the building we purchased this uh, a pet collar business off my wife's parents who they used to just do markets and shopping center pop-ups but we always knew it would be a good e-commerce business and we thought with COVID coming digital shopping was going to be a thing one other thing that sort of surprised us I guess was the amount of take-up of people buying pets so we just hit the perfect storm of me doing a deep dive into e-commerce in early 2020 having a business that was already a good product that people just hadn't seen in at, like on mass because it had just been at that local markets and stuff and so yeah once we started marketing and advertising and then COVID hit big than what anybody expected and people just started adapting to shopping online and I think it just I think e- e-commerce was always going to be big and because it is a good way of doing things but I think COVID just kind of accelerated its growth exactly yeah yeah yeah. So, yeah so we did that and that's where I learned about e-commerce properly this time through Shopify and we built it on Shopify and yeah so and I've just we actually just signed contracts today on selling that so I was able to 10x my investment on that one which was kind of nice in a little over 18 months we bought it for 150 and sold it for 1.15 so yeah so we we made a million dollars profit but we made some good profit from the business while it was operating as well we got about a about a 3x multiple which is not high in e-commerce terms but it was an unusual e-commerce business that it's it's personalized so i can't 3pl it it's very staff heavy it's a very qualified machine sort of heavy even though it was a, an e-com business it was still as close to kind of a bricks and mortar style where you need staff and and equipment okay. as, yeah knowing that i like this next business that we're doing with the picnic rugs is a pick and pack business so i'm really interested to see if i can build this one up right what kind of multiple we could expect but i i would think that something that we're doing now now is going to be more worthy of probably a five multiple or maybe more. So we'll see what happens. We will run that. I think you've really got to, we sold the pet collar business. We'd had it for about four years. We'd only really run it properly for that 18 month period. My, my suggestion for everyone out there that's looking to flip a business is to probably have 24 months of data or decent data that you want to use. So flipping a business is a little bit different to flipping a house <laughs> so you know you can get in and and flip a house pretty quickly but um and you could probably do the same with the business but i did to get the best multiple and the best return on your investment i think you, you're kind of committed for two years and this new business it will be more high ticket right the uh, yeah yeah we, the order we'll, value will be higher 
Yeah, we our average order value with the with the pet collars was around fifty. I think with the rugs we'll be pushing the two hundred sort of limit. The rugs are one hundred and forty nine, and we've got accessories and stuff that come with that. And then you know they're shipping and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, our average order value will be somewhere between one fifty and two hundred, I think. And we've got some. I've got some really good products in development that we're going to keep releasing so so that number would be something that will always increase but i kind of have to focus on that aov because our return because they're quality products it's not a consumable so it was the same with the same with the pet collars the customer lifetime value metric for us is a little bit different i used to always say the most valuable customer for us wasn't the one that spent money each year it was the guy that was at the dog beach telling everybody who cared to listen just how good our dog collars were. And I think, you know, we ended up building a site. Well, the site that we had was converting it under 1% when I, when we took over. And I ended up getting that to bounce between about 8 and 10%. But I think that was because, you know, like we obviously user experience and I, I dedicate a lot of effort into making sure that the, the UX is spot on. But I do think there's customers out there that are sending warm prospects to us that don't come through our advertising. And I think we get about... Nearly half of our traffic is organic, so that that even proves that it even more. Yeah, for sure. And it, it was very valuable in when we were selling the business as well, having those kind of figures. Because realistically, I've looked at a, a lot of you know the flippers and the and the places where people are selling like the e-com marketplaces, and you know you see some of these, you know you see some of the revenue numbers, but then you look at their ad spend, and they're just anybody can get a revenue of ten million bucks if you're going to spend eight million in ads. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. no there's no special. Source in that in that equation it's like a casino and you are not in red yet yep buddy that's exactly what it is so um yeah. so yeah so we we we're still going to have the not being a consumable and being a premium product with the uh, with the picnic rugs so i can't really change my view on customer lifetime value um and work the metrics like some some acquaintances we both have like to use but um you know i fully get that customer lifetime value is important for most e-commerce businesses especially the ones that are consumables or subscription boxes or that style of business but i just tend to grab it i don't know why it's not by choice but i've just always gravitated towards products that are a little bit more quality the focus is on having happy customers versus having returning customers and some we used to get people send us photos of their dog's collar in its shrine. So the dog collars lasted 14, 15 years and actually outlasted the dog and becomes part of its shrine once it passes. So probably not the best product development decision to make something that lasts, that costs $36 and lasts 14 years, but you know, it served us quite well. I think it's a good approach. And you mentioned that instead of focusing on returning customers and high TV, you rather focus on word of mouth and referrals and people, you know, being happy, customers being happy and they, recommend new people to your store and, i think that, that that's a good approach for those stores where the aov is high realistically people they won't come back three times a year and uh just focus on word of mouth and i think and and with the conversion rate i started to get approached a lot in you know the podcast webinar world just due to my conversion rate being so high i think like at one point i think we had the highest conversion rate in all of shopify for the pet industry for for stores of our size which was kind of cool but you know my my focus on ux is like obsessive nelly it's uh, like i'm forever looking at my site and looking at the way or not even the site like the flows and the retargeting because i think for me everybody heralds me for having a site that can convert at 10 percent, but i still look at it from a, a normal business standpoint and go that's still nine out of ten people that come to my website like and still don't purchase anything so i'm not happy at 10 percent. although as a benchmark that 
that's you know amazing but i still think there's so much room for improvement if i'm only making happy one out of every 10 that comes through so i'm forever tweaking my i realize that my flows and my retarget marketing are probably the most important thing in my business being that nine out of ten people leave so you know i'm forever split testing flows and tweaking stuff just to see what hits one tip actually i've got for everyone which would probably be pretty helpful is i have a standard alarm set in my phone to go off every couple of months and i i do an order through my own business so i actually physically yeah. order something from my business just so i can experience everything from the the user experience on the website to entering the flows to getting the delivery and every single time that i do it i i tweak something for the better so that's something you know i remember i went to uh, it was like a community college to do a business course once and we had to write one paper that was it was it was a very quick course it might have only been a month and we had to write a paper and my paper was on shop blindness it focused on the fact that and this is back before e-commerce so it's it's bricks and mortar it focuses on the fact that an owner of a business will park at the back walk through the back door, set himself up behind a reception desk or his desk or whatever. But very rarely does he see what the customer sees. Like you'd very yeah. rarely see a shop owner at the front of his store, looking at the awning, looking at the door, looking at the signage, looking at, you know, the, the street appeal of his shop. He would just forever, or he or she would forever just walk through the back door. And so I wrote a thesis on this, like, say in my early 20s and it's it's kind of similar to e-commerce like people just get comfortable you know you could probably run a poll now for all the people that are in your community to see when the last time they changed their email flows were or the last time they shipped an order to themselves to see what the whole process was like or you know and i get it it's it's really really easy to become comfortable especially if you know your ads are working and you're getting a good you know cost per acquisition and yeah. you know everything's cruising along but i'll guarantee you your business will be so much better and your conversion rate will be so much higher if you do focus on that user experience all the time. Just took a note on this. We will ask our community about this. If When was the last time they visited their own business and they purchased something? I like yeah, it. To I, it'd, be, it'd, it'd be such a small percentage. I'd be surprised if it's any more than about yeah. 3%. <laughs> yeah, and then people are, you know, they, they wonder why their business uh, doesn't grow and they just cannot notice the subtle things that really matters for a real customer yeah. for sure so that's that's probably the biggest takeaway from our discussion if people start scheduling into their schedules even once a quarter do it every season just yeah. just jump on and you'll see something in the flows that annoys you you'll like we even changed our delivery partner after one episode that i had getting a delivery to myself from my own business we moved from a, a company called fastways back then they're now called aramex but it was just a horrible experience to deal with them and i'm like why would I, you know, why would I let an external factor like that, which there were so many different options, reflect negatively on my business? But I never would have known how bad it was if I wasn't a customer of my own product. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so yeah, yeah, that's definitely a must add to your list to do. I think. <laughs> I have one more question. So you mentioned organic, and you have a great organic, uh, you know, marketing in general, word word of mouth, referrals, all of that. And uh, what is the mindset behind it, or or maybe if you can mention a few tactics or or your strategy in general, because I think most people they struggle with it. Most, yeah. uh, especially new people in e-commerce, they try Facebook ads, TikTok ads. As you said, they uh, make uh, even if they make good amount of money, their margins are really tight. And yeah, uh, yeah it's almost like an ATM. 
or a casino and uh, yeah. organize well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's one word explains it and it's called community. So one thing, one thing, even before I, I landed in e-commerce that I've been good at has been building community. So, you know, the, the TV show Search for Her had this massive community of personal trainers and people that were just, we would inspire to do crazy events. And, and it's the same with our events business. Like we used to have groups of females with an event we had called Miss Muddy and we'd create Facebook groups where we'd put training tips in and we'd give them, you know, we'd connect them up with the local park run operator so they could do some things together. And, you know, so for me, if you can build a community around your product, your organic side of things gets looked after, not only because you end up with a big, you kind of end up with a, you know, a lot of people talk about building up your email database and stuff like that. For me, that's cool. But if that email database is something that becomes something and whether it's Discord or a Facebook group or people that are just tuning on to you when you do lives on IG or whatever it might be, you kind of, for one, you get a lot of user generated content. Two, you get a lot of ideas on product development. Like if you've got a big community where you don't have to guess anything. So Pet Collars was probably a perfect example for us. You know, if we wanted to introduce a new product, it might be a glow in the dark collar just to pull something out of my out of my bum. But I didn't have to guess and order a thousand units in to see if it would work i'd basically just get a sample sent to me and i'd be online and i'd go hey crew what do you reckon of this and you know this is what it does this is what this is how much it's going to cost you know was it something that you would buy and i would just get live feedback on you know and that's how we made most of our product decisions to get to a point where you've got a big community you've got to give a lot you know i whether you love him or hate him gary v i guess is is good and and his whole you know jab 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 right hook it's true man it's and that's what so from from a community building standpoint you need to give 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 before you ask for anything so we used to do it was called moby mag it was a, a friend of mine actually developed an app and it allowed you to put a magazine and it read like a a kindle so on your mobile phone you could just scroll through it like it was beautiful and seamless and before that it was like issue and you have to scroll in and like you know pull in and out to see stuff and so he developed that and we just created a magazine and we could have monetized it and we could have sold it we could have done a lot of things but i'm like you know it cost me probably a thousand bucks to put together with my va and it was just something that we did free for the community so for every every two months they get an email from us saying hey here's the latest edition of who magazine and you know it, it, it also worked out to be a good lead generator ad to put on Facebook to get emails and build your community again but it's that whole everybody focuses on building an email list to give them something to sell, someone to sell to. We used to try to create an email list to build our tribe, you know, so to create loyal fans and, and you know, and then, yes, we would sell to them, but I'll guarantee you that they never felt like they were being sold to. And they always felt like, you know, silly things like, you know, you kind of assume that everybody's on social media. So every now and then I do an email out to everybody and go, hey, this is for the people that aren't, aren't on social. We've had some cool posts that have gone up in the last three months. Here they are. And I'd screenshot them and put them into an email and stuff and and people would reply back to that and go oh thank you so much like people forget that some people aren't on social media and it's that kind of stuff that we used to do and that i'll continue to do even with this picnic you know with the picnic company is is just build that community i'm probably going to do another moby mag and make it something around cool things to do outside or we might even focus on a big pain point for our avid like our demographic here is keeping your kids off screens you know like every every parent that's got kids between five and fifteen they're just lost for things to try to find their kids to do to stop them being on YouTube or playing Fortnite or whatever it is that they're doing. So, you know, we like the idea of getting outside and having adventures and, you know, and our, our tagline is the only screen you need is sunscreen. So we've got a few different avatars 
but that's kind of a Gen Y, Gen X crew. And then we, we've made these rugs all environmental. So we use recycled plastic bottles, fabric, and we plant a tree for every rug sold to reduce our carbon footprint and all this sort of stuff. And that opens us up to more the millennial, not so much Gen X. Gen Xers aren't really buying at the minute, but, you know, in a few years, they will be our customers. And they're the ones that, you know, saving the planet is above all else in their to-do list. So we made a call to go down that environmentally route. Only it makes you feel good. And we wanted to build a business. We've got two Gen Z girls. And so we wanted to build a, a business that they were proud of. And, and so for them, it had to be environmentally friendly and had to have a minimal carbon footprint and or just sustainability really like our whole ethos is being able to produce like so our our aim is to produce the perfect picnic rug but we have to be able to do that without affecting future generations to produce whatever it is that they want to produce so that's our kind of our mission our mission yeah. statement not that mission statements are really a thing in business anymore but you know that sustainability angle for us is huge and and it's good because it does open up our demographic from probably being a, a 30-year-old plus market only to now talking to 20-year-olds, you know? Yesterday, I talked to Paul Cunningham and uh, up to now, they I think they've donated 600,000 meals to poor, poor children. Oh, how cool is that? So nowadays, I talk to more and more entrepreneurs who find this important and I think it's really good. Um, yeah, and it's and it's yeah. not everything's about the spreadsheet, you know? It's nice to, you know, for me, counting how many mangrove trees we plant in Madagascar has got so much more oomph to it than what even my conversion rate is or what my cost, you know, you always, you always want to maximize your ad spend so your cpas and that are always top of mind but you know being able to this is another community like it's the community that's helping us build these mangroves you know which will help pull carbon out of the air and put fresh air back in the, we've partnered with a company called ecology and and so they keep us live updates as to how our particular mangroves growing and and yeah so it'll be cool i'll nearly get a bigger kick out of watching that mangrove grow than what i will seeing how many physical rugs we've sold through the years so. yeah thanks Adam. it was a really good conversation today i think i learned a lot i hope all the listeners learned a lot if there is one takeaway i think because we mentioned many things but i i prefer just one takeaway from each conversation you know it sticks so go to your store to your business and buy let's say one supporter from your own store and go through the whole customer journey and try to see how you can improve i think that was a really good thought yeah well, hopefully thanks. everybody implemented that's listening so thanks everyone who listened to us thanks to them again and uh, stay tuned every week we come out with a new episode new conversation with an e-commerce business owner marketer agency have a nice day everyone you too see you, everybody